Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. This week, we're going to talk about something that is too often neglected. Many people have in place a will or a trust. We talk about that subject every now and then. We, we come back to it regularly. Sure. It's good to uh, review. It's good that we mentioned Tucker Allen's name right? Of course. But, but, you know, we want to talk about all things that are important to people who are in what we call kind of the third act, the last third of their life, and things that can make your life much better than it would otherwise be. And among the things that get neglected is it's almost regarded as a detail, even sometimes by state planning lawyers. And that question is, what happens if whenever whenever things are going fine, perhaps you seem to be in good health, you have no reason to expect to be suddenly incapable of managing your affairs, and then something happens quickly. And it's those cases where it's, it, it's a single event, such as a heart attack, or it could be a, a car accident. Right. I mean, stroke. Stroke. I mean, all sorts of things can happen. And it's not the sort of gradual loss of health that allows us often to plan. Sometimes we think, oh, we have time to think about doing that later. You've heard us talk about durable powers of attorney. You've heard us obviously talk about wills and trusts, but there are other things. You, you say to yourself, well, yeah, I know that's important to get that done, but I'll have time to do that if I get diagnosed with an illness, for example, that, that may be terminal. But all too often, it doesn't happen that way. Then it, you're in it, crisis mode. It happens in, in a moment. And then when that moment happens, what is it that you need to have in place? So we think it's, it's, it's worth your time for us to take uh, this show and dedicate to that topic. So this show is not about so much estate planning. This is about latter stages of your life planning. Although, you know, the information we're about to talk about would be just as true for somebody who's 25 or 30. Right. I mean, it may be statistically, they may be less likely to have such an event, but the same rules apply. It could happen. So let, let, let me kind of set this up. Let's assume that, that you are, like, like most of us, you have bank accounts, you own some real estate, you may even own a second piece of real estate or a third if you have a rental property or you have a vacation home. Um, you have securities probably in two or three different places. You might have a friend through church that you let handle some of your money, uh, maybe a few accounts. You may have a few investments that you've done just because you knew the people. So maybe you put fifty or $100,000 or more into an investment that you did kind of as an unusual decision, but it was just based on somebody that you knew. So I could go down the list of, of, of things that would be in your portfolio that you would know about that, that even people who know you well would not fully know about. And then we can think about, well, what about your 401ks? You know, where is that managed? Is that managed in one place? Your pension plan, 
Uh, do, do you have a traditional pension? Uh, a lot of the people watching this show have lived long enough to where you have traditional yeah. pensions. Nowadays, I can tell you, as you probably know, it's a thing of the past. You know, I, I tell my daughters, you know, that at one time when you work for a company for a certain amount of time, you accumulated the right to receive a certain amount of money, and that payment would go up. And that payment even adjusted that cost of living increase adjustments was not, were not uncommon. Uh-huh. And there's still my brothers on that plan with the government. So, so some of you will be living off of money that you're getting through some sort of pension. Others, it'll be 401ks or IRAs. Um, some of you may have bought annuities. So I could go on and on about the, the unique characteristics that, that everyone has to some extent with their portfolio. And then let's talk a little bit about, though, the informational side of what, what exists in your day-to-day life. You probably have a lot of information that are, that's stored on some websites. Now, we may be able to guess what some of those are and others maybe not. And some of it is important personal information. Some of it may be photos that you've accumulated over many years that you've shared that maybe whether it's Facebook or another website. I mean, there's lots of information about you and your life that's stored there. You may have a safe deposit box, but you probably have, if you're like many of us, you may do business with more than one bank. And And where's that key? And where is that? And now a lot of safe deposit boxes are not in banks. There are businesses that exist just to do that, to provide safe deposit Mm -hmm. places for, for larger assets, for example. So I could go on and on to make the point that there's a lot of important things in your life that need attention that that somebody will have to take care of if this event that I'm describing occurs. Now, if you've watched this show much at all, you know that we have an answer for how you can have immediately somebody in a position to, to take the wheel. It's like you're driving a car. You're soaring down the road. You're cruising. Everything's great. Yeah. All of a sudden, you have a heart attack. Well, from a legal standpoint, what a, what a power of attorney does is it allows someone to immediately take the wheel. The vehicle doesn't crash. Instead, they immediately take the wheel and they can continue safely driving as safely and even as effectively as you were doing. But they have to have that information. Yeah, they have to have the information. And and let's take a step back before that. I've emphasized the information. But but let me let me go back a little bit for those of you who who haven't watched the, the last show we did relating to the power of attorney, which is the legal mechanism to give them the power to do that. How long ago was that show? Has it been a couple of months? Probably, it? yeah. Yeah. So let 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 me talk just quickly. Some of you are saying, "Oh, I've heard about a power of attorney, and I know it's a good thing." Let me argue: it is a miraculous thing. It's not simply a good thing. It's a miraculous thing. It's a must. It's a must, and it's comparatively cheap. A durable power of attorney, I, it, if you get one done, you want one done according to your terms, don't order a form, go to a lawyer, hopefully use Tucker Allen. But but if not Tucker Allen, go to a state planning lawyer that, that knows the various options you have when you're making a decision about what rights to give somebody. Because all these forms are not the same. You would not want to empower someone in the identical way I'd be willing to bet as Justin, who's there watching this show uh, uh, and asking himself, do I have this thing in place? But the point is, everybody 
has some some different preferences. There are common themes, so it's not as if there are a thousand different options. Uh, there there are uh, uh, five to ten different decisions that you need to make when you're when you're choosing a power of attorney. But those are very important decisions. So so spend the I don't know what it costs a couple hundred bucks maybe uh, to to get a durable power of attorney done. But once you've done that. You've literally placed beside you someone so that as using this metaphor, as you're driving through life, someone who you trust to immediately take the will. And here's the alternative. If you don't do that, you may say, well, gee, there, I've heard of guardianships. I've heard of people that can be appointed to do that. Well, that's true. You can do that. Let me right. tell you about that option. What that option consists of is... We'll, we'll use the same metaphor. Driving down the road, there wasn't someone sitting there, so let's assume there's a crash or whatever happens. So you need to get someone in a position to take care of you, your health, and your and your stuff. We'll assume you're surviving. Well, here's the way that happens in the absence of a durable power of attorney. Somebody files a petition with a court. That means that they had to hire a lawyer, and they they couldn't hire initially with your money. They'd use their own money, but it'll end up being your money. So they, they hire a, a, a lawyer. They go down and file a document with probate court. So probate court now sets up a date for them to appear in court, a hearing, and somebody will testify. There may be a disagreement in the family. I, I can't tell you how many times this happens. Sure. I mean, how often is it that siblings think that both of them or th- all three of them may think that each of them is more qualified to do this? Oh, of course. Yeah. And it's a bit of a power struggle, too, because— I mean, you don't want it to be. I mean, this is a moment when everybody should be thinking about mom, and maybe they are. And be unified, you know. They should be unified. They should be, but that that's not reality. It's not reality in part because all three of them, we'll use three for example, may think that each of them has a better idea about how to take care mm-hmm. of mom. They may genuinely care about mom and, and distrust the other's judgment or honesty mm-hmm. <laughs> in some cases. So, that, I mean, that, this, is, this is plan B. So if you've not done a durable power of attorney, I'm, de- I'm describing to you your plan B. So whether your kids argue or not, whether there's an agreement or not, ultimately a judge is going to listen to the testimony, make a decision about who should be placed in charge, and the gavel goes down. And that can take time. For it does before take time. Before this is, it's decided. Yeah, and, and whether it's contested will affect well, that. Right, right. So that complicates it even more. And, uh, and the court docket. You know, sometimes the docket, you're waiting longer than you otherwise would. And meanwhile, this person who had this car accident, heart attack. Is, is, is in ICU somewhere. Yeah. And, and fortunately, the hospital will, on an interim basis. That's true. Go ahead and make some decisions because they, they can't let you die. So that's good news that if you don't have a durable power of attorney. they. But I can tell you. They want a family member that's qualified by law to make this decision. So they're waiting to find out who has the authority to make those really tough decisions, not whether or not when clearly you, you're capable of recovering. And so as a result, they do procedures that, that you know, are necessary. It's those discretionary calls. Do you want to be on life support for years? Uh, you know, do you want even CPR to be administered in some cases or any any other form of artificial life support. So there's lots of decisions that that the hospital will not want to be in the position to make and nor should they make. So 
So meanwhile, the courthouse has your life and your welfare in their hands, and and that shouldn't give you peace of mind, to be frank with no. you. But here, here's another thing that exists for your protection, but ends up being very expensive and very unwieldy. And that's the fact that the court, once that gavel goes down, they appoint someone says, okay, I've chosen child B to be the one who makes these decisions. So the court says to B, now you have to report back to us regularly. And if you want to do anything exceptional, you need to come to us and we need to approve it, especially if there's any disagreement by your siblings. So you can you can see what, what lies ahead. Um, now, if it's a perfectly harmonious family, maybe there won't be those disagreements and they'll, there'll just be the need to come back to the court and report regularly on how funds are managed. There has to be a report prepared. And you can see why these rules exist. I, I sure. mean, if you're not going to have a power of attorney, I guess this is what we need because we want some mechanism to assure that whoever the court appoints is going to handle responsibly your affairs, however complicated they are. And this includes everything. This includes... All the bank accounts, your IRAs, your the money coming in from pension plan, handling your Social Security checks, filling out the forms to be sure that Social Security now has the right payee, and that, that process of getting approval through the Social Security Administration is entirely separate from this judicial proceeding. But they will rely, or they will whatever decision that the state court makes will pretty much reflect what Social Security does. So, so there, there's there's work involved. And, and so the judge wants to be sure that whoever's in this role is discharging their responsibilities well. Okay. Now I've got a question. Okay, you give someone power of attorney, that catastrophic event happens, whether it be a stroke or a heart attack. So you're then acting on their behalf. So say you have to go to their bank for whatever reason, and, and you show the bank you have this power of attorney. Do you have to prove in some way that that individual is incapacitated, you know, a, a doctor's note or something like that? Well, that raises a good question. And um, uh, let me take a step back. I'm going to run at that. I'm going to run at answering that, that question this way. So I think that I've described to you how important it is to have a durable power of attorney. Um it, it's it's a it's a no-brainer. It's not expensive. Doesn't take long to do it, and you can see the sort of potentially hellacious complications mm-hmm. if you don't do it. So now here's the reason I wanted to take a step back in answering that is I want to set it up that that once you know that you know that you know you need a power of attorney, um, then you have to make a few decisions about what it what it should look like. And, and as I said a while ago, it's not that there's a long list of things that you have to decide for everyone, um, but, but there is a list. It's just that it's not a whole lot of stuff. And you raised just now an important issue that, that different people will choose different things. Among the things that you want to consider is when do you want it to be effective? Okay. So some people say, look, I don't want to give anybody the power to have access to my bank accounts, to my other financial matters, to my stuff, unless I'm incompetent. Uh, So I only want this to kick in when something happens, when that event happens that we're talking about, whatever it is. And when you first think about it, many people say, well, of course that's true. Why would I want to give somebody that access earlier? But there is a reason. Um, The reason is that 
If there's a condition precedent, as it's called, if there is a condition required to trigger this authority, then you can, you don't, the whole idea is to keep you out of court. So any good durable power of attorney is going to keep you out of court. Uh, But one way they do that is they'll have, for example, two or three doctors that will attest. And so they'll they'll sign an affidavit in which they attest that you're incompetent. You could have one doctor do that. Um, You could have a panel of your children do that, uh, requiring unanimity, for example, or two-thirds. Or you can choose the mechanism. And then once that's done, then there's an affidavit executed. The law will protect a financial institution that is given a durable power of attorney and if it does have such a condition, if there's attached the affidavits that that the that the document requires, okay. if the, if those things are attached, then the law protects that that institution. You can see why we have that law is that I yes yeah they they don't want to hold up what what's intended to be a solution right to people at a very vulnerable point in their life. But here here's the, here's the counter argument. Um, number one, let me make this point: if you cannot trust this person. When you're competent, <laughs> Very uh, good point. should you trust them when you're incompetent? So I, I, that that is a critical question. If you've chosen someone that that you don't feel comfortable, if you think they'll start doing something sneaky, maybe while you're alive, then um, I think I would rule that person out. Or while you're competent, I think I'd rule that person out. But but here's here is really the most important reason from my standpoint is assuming that you've picked somebody that you really trust. In other words, they're not going to be looking into your affairs while you're alive. They're going to be going about their own business, but you've you've made them aware of what's there. We'll talk about that in a minute. And otherwise, they're not going to be intruding or they're not going to have their nose in things in your life that they shouldn't. And the reason that that's more favorable is if you have a durable power of attorney that has conditions to it, even though the bank is protected, it's still going to go from that first floor entry where perhaps you walk in, you sit down with a bank officer, you provide them this material. It, the decision to give that person authority to, to start doing stuff probably will not happen at that moment. I can tell you that for most institutions, it goes from the first or second floor up to the 40th floor, which is where the, the legal department is. And the legal department reviews it and confirms that this condition, these conditions or this condition is met. That's the delay. It's not that it that that the bank will not honor it. It just produces, you know, varies from bank to bank. It could be one day delay. It could be a week delay. But those Pro- safeguards have to be in place. They they probably are because most tellers. I'll use the word teller or a or a divisional representative, a local representative in that branch. Generally, they're uncomfortable, and many times they're not even authorized. To, to make that call when there are conditions preceding. So if you get rid of those conditions and you say, for example, let's assume it's your sister. You, you, you trust, you'd trust your sister completely and totally. And in that case, why put a condition on it when there may be some question about whether or not the incompetence is property, properly valid or whether this condition is met? Sometimes people will say, I want a panel of three doctors. Well, that's a little scary, you know, because it could mean that 
that these doctors' thresholds of incompetency, quite frankly, are either too high or too low. They may not all agree. Yeah. Then yeah. what do you do? And, and and if anything, here's the funny thing about it is they're probably going to err on requiring a whole lot of evidence of incompetence so that they don't have, so you don't sue them. Right. Well, oddly enough, you would almost prefer that they be very sensitive to your competency, you know, have a, a kind of a low threshold rather than a real high threshold. Because in the meantime, you could do harm to your you could be making some bad decisions with 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 your retirement funds, for example, and your doctor may not have a good feel for competency and may say, "No, I'm not comfortable signing this affidavit." So, granted, uh, you can imagine scenarios in both directions: a doctor that's too reluctant, or a doctor that's too enthusiastic or acquiescent. Yeah, I can tell you as a, you may think, well, gee, this could this could end up going sideways often. I can tell you, having been involved in this area of the law and related areas of the law for many years, I can count on one hand the time where there was where where there was a situation where somebody was falsely deemed incompetent. Now, it would take certainly more than one hand to talk about the occasions where there's been fraud involved. And so fraud is a different subject. But but that that has usually happened after the person has been given power, and then they charge down the road and do what they want, and and incidentally, that's that is subject to happen. Whoever is put in charge of your estate, you're far more likely if you make an informed decision to choose the person correctly than a judge is. Right. But that assumes you think it through properly, and you not simply make the decision that you think will cause you less of a headache right now. And and that, I'll give you a few examples. When I see that, often it'll be maybe a child that has an expectation, and which should be a big red flag. Mm-hmm. You know, a child that expects to be in control of things, always has been in control of things, at, at least among your children, and maybe including you. And, and so you don't want to offend them so so maybe you tell your lawyer, I want to name that person to be the person who has my power of attorney. I can tell you that often that doesn't work out. Uh, often that turns out to be a bad decision. But it's not that that the instrument um, or the method was wrong. It's that you simply did not use your best judgment. It wasn't you had bad judgment. You didn't use what was your best judgment. Right. And, and you did it for reasons that weren't related that didn't tie in with your best interests. And this is a time when you have to think about your best interests for the balance of your life because it's at that moment, but before you sign that document, that you're making that decision right then and there. And But it's good news in the sense that you're competent now and you're clear-headed and then you're, you're, you're in a yeah. much better position to make that decision now probably than you'll ever be. I really like the point you raised about if you can't trust them when you're competent... <laughs> Forget about trusting them when you're not competent. So it is really important to find that person and also to have list a number of people in case that top person can't fulfill the duty or say they pass away. Yeah, yeah, and you raise a good point. Is uh, we uh, you can put list more than one person, and we've talked about about that. It's different shows where some people will have two or three people or more. Um, the only caveat I would say about that is is keep the number low and have an odd number in the event that there's a disagreement. Uh, but I will tell you this, it does slow things down. It means that before a decision can be made, 
others have to be located. So um, some people still really want to include, you know, all both of their kids, for example. It's just that if it does result in a tie, you've got to include a tiebreaker in the in the document. You don't want it to end up in court. Remember, the whole idea is don't pay lawyers, don't have to spend your money on lawyers and litigation and courthouses. And that's the pathway that exists if if you if something happens and you have a period of incompetency in your life and you don't have a durable power of attorney. No, what I was talking about, not having them all serve in this role at the same in time. In succession. In succession. Yeah, yeah. let's and talk about that. you can do that, that right. Um, you're right. And and that we, that deserves mentioning, too, is it, it is possible this person dies before you do. So what then? Or Or this person may become incompetent before you two. And and who knows? I mean, things happen. And if it's somebody younger than you, it probably was some some uh, catastrophic event, such as an accident or something like that. But it does happen. In any case, um, uh, yeah, what, what Jill's talking about is the fact that we, you know, we always insist our clients have a, a succession list. So you have a number one, and if number one can't or won't do it, then there's a number two, and then there's a number three. Usually, I don't have clients go beyond three. Usually, that's pretty safe. I know somebody that had 10. <laughs> Do they expect to live for a long, long, long time? Apparently. So, I mean, there you can do stuff like that. And, and these are just a few of the things, though, that when you think about a power of attorney, you know, what do you want your power of attorney to be? And yours will be different than a person sitting next to you. Um, another thing to think about is how much power do you want to give this person? Um, some people will say, look, I'll let them change anything and everything. I'll even give them power to change my estate planning documents. That's a little scary. Yeah, I don't think I'd give anyone that power. Yeah, yeah, that that is really scary to let someone change your estate plan. You may say, well, why would, why would any lawyer sanction that? Um, well, for some people who are really worried about tax issues, for example, tax laws change. And if during your incompetency, a new tax law is passed by way of if there's a way to move move your stuff around into a different trust, for example, or to create a trust to move it into or to take it out of an existing trust, whatever it may be, where you literally would save, you know, if you're a wealthy person, would save millions of dollars for your children, it would be a shame if in that situation that couldn't be fixed. And, and it couldn't be normally. I mean, normally, if you're talking about a, a durable power of attorney, one of the, a typical provision, if an, an experienced lawyer were drafting this for you, they would probably caution you uh, against having somebody who can tamper with your estate plan. And usually that includes moving stuff mm-hmm. in and out, in moving stuff wholesale in and out of a trust. You might have the ability to take money from a trust to pay bills. That's not unusual. Lots of, lots of people have revocable trusts. So so that what we're talking about here will not interfere with your estate planning if no. you're using revocable trusts. And revocable trusts, incidentally, are a great idea. But revocable trusts are not for tax planning. Now, I mean, if, if you have less than 20, if you're a married couple and you have less than $22 million, you're, you don't have an estate tax problem. For a single person now, it's eleven point something million. 
And and so you don't have an estate tax problem. Now, it's true that there's lots of talk about lowering that. I mean, we lower way down to maybe where it was. In 2000, I think it was a million dollars, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. And nowadays, you know, lots of you watching this, if you include your house and everything you own, you may be north of a million dollars. But uh, that's not happened yet. Uh, but But they could. So I'm still suggesting... Unless you have a whole lot of money uh, where you might want to to have that authority rest in someone, there are ways to do that. You can do it through a third-party holder of a power of attorney that exists only for that specific purpose. So there, there are ways to write that in if you're, if you're fortunate enough to be in that situation. But absent that situation, um, you know, I don't think you want— you don't want to give anyone that power. Yeah, because k- kids uh, will often think, and especially the one who's spending a lot of time taking care of you, that's the one who's most likely to to be thinking to him or herself that, look, dad would have wanted me to have the larger share. I'm the one who took care of it. I deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. I was there. They weren't. They live in other cities. And I've done all of this, and this is what dad would have wanted. And maybe even they ask you, in your incompetent state, and you <laughs> and, and and you say to him or her, "Well, yes, you know, I appreciate so much what you've done. I want you to have it all." If you're incompetent at that point, um, then you know you don't want to to be in a position to harm yourself, so to speak. Right now, let me make a distinction here that is worth making. What when we talk about a power of attorney, we're talking about. Um, uh, something that governs all your affairs except specifically health. Now, for health, there is a separate document. It's called a health care directive or or a durable power of attorney for health care is sometimes called different things in different states. I haven't spent time talking about that because often these are signed together. I mean, rarely, uh, I can tell you, with, with most of the law firms that I know of that do estate planning, you know, they're going to talk about these documents in conjunction because they kind of, travel together because in combination, they have you covered. Um, But I don't want you to think, though, that you would always choose the same person. It's not unusual to have somebody different who's in the role of making the health care decisions, not financial, but health care decisions. So you may think uh, that there's someone at body other than the person you would choose for those financial and legal matters to handle those healthcare decisions. As a matter of fact, it's not unusual for that to be two contrasting skill sets. Yeah, I would think so. That's what we normally see. Yeah. So with this power of attorney, you want them to have all the information they need to execute, you know, Paying your bills, running your life. And and very often we see where people don't have access to that information. They yeah. don't know, you know, how many bills you have coming in every month or, you know, whatever the case may be. So you need to find a way to arrange that, I guess you could say, put it yeah. all in one nice little package. Yeah, and, and it, it is, that's a good pivot, pivot point is... I hope that we have sold you on the idea that you need a durable power of attorney. Uh, so I won't keep There's bang- a takeaway. That's yeah. it. <laughs> I won't keep banging the table, so to speak, on that. But but now you're you're raising uh, the, the point that can't be ignored. Right. And, and that's that 
once you have this document in place, you can't just sit down and 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 think, oh, thankfully I've taken care of that. Well, it is good. You can congratulate yourself for having taken that first step. But but there's a second step that is almost just as important. And and that's that you've got to have your information in a place that's fully accessible. It's very easy to to name someone and and then to go about your life and and of course they maybe you told them let's assume you told them oh I've placed you I've named you as the holder of my durable power of attorney and and so they're aware of that so each of you are going about your lives and then all of a sudden they get a call uh, from uh, your child or a relative of you calls them and says oh Bill has has had a car accident. And you apparently have a power of attorney. So at that point, you're thinking, well, how can I be of help to him now? Yeah, I do have a copy of this document, but I don't know exactly where he banks. I don't know what his security, what securities he holds, what brokerage firm right. he's using. Uh, maybe he's using online banking. Maybe it's Robin Hood. Who knows what he's using in terms of websites to take care of his financial life. Then there's the the personal information that he doesn't have access to. So you can see where you could you could very well, if you're the person who's holding the durable power, you could see where you're in a position where you know you have this powerful document that gives you a lot of authority, and all this is resting on your shoulders now. I mean, suddenly, you know, your friend's life in in a in a large sense of the word, is on your shoulders. And you don't want your friend to have to figure it out as they go along. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want this person to be in a position where they're scrambling and they're frantic and they're still going to screw up because they can't. They, they can't know all the right things. So maybe some payment is due on a property you own. Uh, that they don't know to make, and why, and a foreclosure proceeding starts. Uh, maybe your credit gets destroyed because this person doesn't know that you have these payments to, you know, to Best Buy that you had purchased something, yes. and you know, or some Visa card you have they didn't know about. Um, maybe they don't know that you use Apple Pay. It, there are things that, that despite their best efforts, I mean, let's assume you made the right decision. You chose somebody who's responsible and who's honest. Mm-hmm. But but they they can't read your mind. And and the, the, the sad fact is often somebody in that situation, the way they find out about things that people owe is when there's a legal action taken. You're absolutely right. By a creditor or somebody else. Somebody there's sued. Maybe there's money owed someone under a contract. Could be an employee employer relationship. They didn't know about it. And and they find out when there's a lawsuit because you're suddenly going to be named as the 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 pers- the legal representative to receive the action at the courthouse. So you have to find somebody to serve. And and remember you're alive, you're not dead. So when you're alive you're subject to all those actions that everybody else is. Even when you're incompetent, you're still going to be the object of lawsuits and, and other proceedings as, just as you were before you were incompetent. Except now, you can't do anything about it. It's entirely in the hands of this person you've named. But the person you've named doesn't know that these this stuff's going no. on. And that can get really, really hairy. I it, can only it imagine, can. Um, you know. And you end up with a mess. You end. You started out with, you start out with good credit, 
you know, credit that, you know, we all work a lifetime to maintain our credit, not to mention that we really intend to pay people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, we may care about them. We want them to have money. Uh-huh. Maybe we were helping a kid going to college. I mean, all those things that these little commitments we've made, but they're going to stop the moment that something happens where you're unable to manage it anymore, unless you have not only given someone this durable power of attorney, but you've also, as you said, we've given them the information. Yeah. They need instructions. They need something to know how to run your life. Because you think about all the little details. You know, I get... This is true. I I have this bank account that I've had since I was, you know, maybe 20. And I've had the same um, car insurance. And they would always take it out of this account. And I've kept it all these years. And later on, as I owned a home, I used that specific bank account for State Farm to take it out. And you know what? And And I make sure there's enough money in that account. But you know what? I don't think I've ever told my husband about I mean, he knows about the account, uh-huh. but I don't think he knows that I use it for that purpose. So, so now you've had the same bank account since you were 20? Yes, this one. I mean, I have other bank accounts. I know, but, but that's yes. impressive. I can't say I have any account that I've had yeah. that long. And I've kept it that long, and, you know, it's changed, you know, bank names. I don't know how many times. But, you know, I come to think of it, I don't think my husband even knows that that's the bank account that I use to mm-hmm. pay for our homeowner's insurance, our, you know, vehicle insurance. Yeah. And so what if something happened to me? He wouldn't know that. And, and that raises another point, too, <laughs> is that it, it, that illustrates the fact that, that often your spouse doesn't know everything. But keep in mind this, and I read this statistic some time ago, and I don't, so I'll, I'll get this wrong, but it was amazingly large percentage of the cases when somebody is seriously injured or dies due to an accident as opposed to an illness, that their spouse is with them. So it hits both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you have catastrophic events, uh, often husband and wife are together. So it's not at all unusual for both to be incompetent at the same time. And when that right. happens, then you don't even have the advantage you were just describing where it's true that if you've named your spouse— and some of you now are widows and widowers, but but those of you who are not, often you'll choose to name your spouse, which is often the right decision. But keep in mind, you've, that second person you choose is critical because you just don't know. I mean, when you name your spouse, you could something could happen to both of you at the same time. And even if it doesn't, if you're older, Maybe you're fine for a while, and, and or may, let's assume that your wife has a stroke, so you're in good shape, but in six months, you're not. That, that statistic's scary. That Something is. about long marriages, it's amazing. Either both will die within a year of each other. I have seen that so many times. Isn't that a weird phenomenon? I, I, th- I really believe that you can die of a broken heart. And I think that's why we see that so often. I think one goes, the other one is heartbroken, can't live without the other one, and that's it. Huh, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. Um, so, so we do know, though, that, that when you, though you might choose to name a spouse, we do know that the chances are very high, whether it happens sooner or it's a few years, that 
that just because you become incompetent first does not suggest that you will survive uh, your spouse. Mm-hmm. So be sure, and not to mention your spouse can even become incompetent too. Well, there's that. Yeah, and and then then you're in the in really bad shape because this person has the power over your assets and they're incompetent. So depending on your age, you need to think about this. You need to. Some people will choose if they're older to not have their spouse as the first choice. Uh, it's not anything wrong with that. It doesn't mean that you don't trust your spouse. It's that you have concerns about your spouse's competency in the future. So many will choose a third party. And when you when you think about though, um, what the characteristics of this is, we should probably take just a minute or so and talk about the fact that this person does not need to be a lawyer and they don't need to be a CPA. Um, what they really need to be is honest, and they need to have good judgment, um, and they need to be um, willing to do this. And I would I use a stronger word than willing. Something between willing and enthusiastic. Have Something your best sh- interest at heart. Having your best interest at heart. I, I think to ask for enthusiasm is asking too much. <laughs> Uh, but something a little bit above willingness, I think you want. And, and I mean, let, let's think about, we were talking about this, and I was looking at some of the issues that that are dealt with. And, I mean, it's a lot of stuff for most people in this world. First of all, the, the websites and passwords. I mean, even your spouse. Your spouse probably does not know all the websites and passwords that you use. They wouldn't have. They have their own accounts. My right. wife has her own YouTube account. She has her own other accounts. So, uh, you know, for uh, there's no reason for us to share passwords, and and there could be very useful information there for somebody taking over your life. Remember, this person has you know as proverb is in the proverbial driver's seat. So they pushed you over, and they now they're driving, and and there's lots of stuff to take care of, and it ends up not being technically financial. And, uh, exclusively and not being technically legal exclusively. It's the stuff that you would want done in your life. That's the person you want in this role so that your life really does go on in a meaningful way, right. in, in a way that affects everyone else and that despite your condition, remember you're incompetent at this point, despite your condition, you can you may still be in a position to, to have the, the peace of mind uh, the 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 assurance that the things that are important to you are going on, and that's not just financial and just legal stuff. So when you think about, you know, the information on on your websites, whatever you're using, uh, and, and I'm thinking about more than Facebook, uh, the brokerage brokerage accounts and banking, both on and offline. That's going to be driven by passwords and account numbers. Uh, what your sources of income? You need to provide the names on the account, remember that's critical because you may use, you know, you may have a LLC, for example, that you're using. I mean, there are other names, entity names that that lots of people use for different accounts. Maybe it's a business you started many years right. ago that, that didn't pan out and you kept it. So it's still showing with the Secretary of State of Missouri, it's showing as an LLC. And even though you think that it's your name alone, it, it's not going to be reported legally that way. Um, so this person has to have the authority to be able to act on your behalf regarding any of those entities. Account number of those, uh, 
on sources of income, what are the methods of receipt that requires details? How do you, the money that you do receive, what address does it go to? It might be that, that there are checks coming in that would not be received. Remember, this person knows nothing. So you may think, well, they know that I have this other place where I stay part of the year. Well, depending on how, if they're a good friend, of course they know that. But if they're not a good friend, they don't know that. Right. Uh, and, and this person doesn't have to be your best friend to be able to do this job well, a point we were making a while ago. Sometimes people will have an institutional representative do this. You, uh, the most important thing is honesty and competence, uh, not that they be your buddy. Um, as a matter of fact, being a buddy has often gotten people in a lot of trouble in making this decision. Um, so regarding debts and any recurring expenses, you know, all the lenders, the payees, the names on the account, again, if it's not your name, then it may not turn up when this person does a search of your outstanding obligations. Uh, account number, method of payment, and again, the details of, of where the payment. Yeah, you think a lot of people have are set up for that automatic bill payment, say with their utilities. What if somebody didn't know that? And they pay it twice. Yes, and, and I'm and, sure that happens. And, and depending on you know who's on the other end, they may or may not be told that. <laughs> So just real quickly here, I know we're running out of time. Um, we just jot down. This is just an example of, of, of a few of the things that, that this role will involve. Um, any significant asset should should be listed out. I mean, we've talked about real estate, but uh, it, it should be clear who the title of the real estate's in. Lots of people have real estate that's either jointly titled with somebody perhaps other than their spouse. They have real estate that is held in LLCs, not uncommon at all. Sometimes they'll be in a in a real estate trust, so uh, you need to provide that information in a single place. Account numbers, or excuse me, uh, the the name of the title in lender info, uh, loan balance. Again, you don't want foreclosure to start on on anything you own, and you don't want a car to get repossessed uh, just because maybe the the this person you chose had no idea you had an outstanding obligation right. on the car. So that that's an example of an asset that you need to list the lender information, including the account number and loan balance, uh, the bi- brokerage uh, and tax deferred savings accounts. List all of those. The institutions that they're in, uh, the approximate balance. Reason the approximate balance is important on all these accounts is that some of the among the most urgent period um, when when this crisis that we're discussing here when it arises. Often that first 48 hours is among the most critical because that's when things sometimes have to be paid quickly. Uh, sometimes decisions like life flight and other things, you know, they have to be done quickly. And if that person doesn't have the power to do it, then there's no one to pay for it. So, so being able to for this person to be functional and to have liquidity liquidity, uh, access to your funds is critical. And often that comes in the form of what's in banking accounts and brokerage accounts. Uh, so approximate balance should be listed. It doesn't matter to the dollar, but approximately the name on the account. Again, I can't tell you enough that the name on the account is critical for the person acting in this role. Uh, account number, similar thing with, uh, annuities and cash value life insurance. Often people forget about listing these things. And, and uh, life insurance, even if it's term insurance, uh, it has value. 
uh, believe it or not. So some people just blow off their term insurance. Term insurance can be sold, not because it has cash value like permanent insurance. It's not that it has cash value. It's, it has a market value. I mean, you're going to, if you've had a stroke or something, the probability, I don't want to be to you know, uh, depressing here, but an actuarial table might say that you're you're going to be dead soon, and and your your insurance has value. So that's not something you'd want someone to go to quickly because it may be better to wait and have your loved ones get that hundred thousand dollars in full rather than sell it now and get forty thousand dollars for it for somebody that's in this business, uh, viaticals or whatever the business is called. But uh, but the, but it, it it's a well established industry where that could be sold. So don't have someone foolishly stop making payments on your term life insurance. And I can't tell you how many times that happens. Uh, that you die and the person or you don't die, you become incompetent and the person who's in charge of it doesn't know to keep up those payments and or they think oh well that, that's two hundred dollars a month that that we're wasting uh, I'm gonna blow that off and so they do and guess what there goes your there goes what could have been sold for a hundred thousand dollar policy it could have been sold for fifty thousand uh, for example so uh, insurance all of that needs to be listed. Uh, the person you've chosen, you've got to give them an opportunity to be successful. Let, again, I'm, I'm assuming, as we talked earlier, you made the right decision, you chose the right person, they're honest, they're diligent, they want to do a good job, don't handicap them in a way that they they, they fail, not because of, of actions they did, but actions that you failed to do. And that's to equip them for success. And... Um, the uh, annuities uh, is a final source of income. And then also we mentioned the cash value life insurance. That's important to know, too, because, the again, it, it's access to money, and that money can be borrowed. Because uh, if, if you have your document drafted well, the durable power of attorney, it'll give this person the ability to be able to do things like access to borrow against the cash value. And what's wonderful about that is it doesn't disqualify your life insurance. You still have life insurance. It'll, yeah, the loan would have to be paid back. But, but if it's somebody that's got to access money quickly to meet a need that you have in that, often in that first 24, 48, 64 hours, you know, you, that sometimes is a place to get money quickly, uh, depending on how, how your cash is arranged in your banking accounts. So uh, we'll wrap this topic up here. We covered a lot. We did. Um, but, I, you know, this topic deserves coming back to it's so critical and so fixable. You know, a lot of things are very critical and 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 dangerous, but they're not so easily fixable. No, they're not. That's why you want to be proactive. Yeah, this one is one of those that doesn't cost you much to fix and the benefits are just incredible. So hopefully we've sold you on that idea. This has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Till next time, take care. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.